you again this week, and we'll be here again next week. However, you'll have the luxury of not having me speak next week, but at least we'll be here next week and be able to enjoy the time together with you. And, and again, I'll have an opportunity to be able to just feed a little bit and get a little bit uh, of teaching as our brother next week will be sharing with us. And I'm thankful, thankful to the Lord. I'm just thankful to the Lord. As I was listening to the music ministry up here and we're singing our songs, I was just, I think sometimes we forget just how much this little group up here does. It is such a blessing to have them. Such a blessing to have music that can lift our hearts. Such a blessing to have those who are committed to music and to uh, exalting the Lord through, through music. So we're thankful for you. We are. We're thankful for you and for what you do for the assembly as a whole. Last week, you remember, and we're not going to have any further ado. We're going to get right to it this morning. Last week, if you remember, and I'm hoping that most of you do, we spent our, our whole time looking at the context that was going to be necessary for the portion that we're studying today. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16. And while you're turning there, let me refresh your mind. We looked at both the close context, those verses and those things which the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching or has been teaching that lead up to this particular story. We saw the context of that. We saw in that context of the near context that he was looking at money. And we saw that as we... As we um, read through our parable. And he showed in the stories that preceded this a a man called the prodigal son who wasted his father's money. Now that father's money actually became his inheritance and then he went and squandered it and wasted his father's money. And then we saw in the parable of the the, uh, unjust steward or unjust uh, servant that he wasted his he wasted his master's money. He went out and wasted his master's money. And then in the story that we're going to be considering again today, we noticed a man that wasted his own money. And then we went into we drew out from there to the gospels themselves, and we noticed in the different gospel accounts the different ways in which the Lord is presented. And we narrowed in on Luke. And in Luke's gospel, we want to emphasize, and we want to remind you of it again this morning, emphasizing the fact that from chapter 9, verse 51 onward, which includes the passage we are in today, that it is speaking continuously. Luke has a purpose in showing to us that Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. Over and over, that statement is made. And so we draw from that the idea that the things that are in the context in which we are reading take place in the time when Jesus is on His way to the cross. He is on His way to death. He is on His way to the resurrection. On His way to the ascension. He is on His way to Jerusalem. And to do the work that His Father has given Him to do. And so we see these things in the light of that context as well. And then we drew out a little bit further and we looked at a broader concept. And we looked at a broader context because we saw in this 
story or parable that we're looking at today, we saw Abraham. We went back into the Genesis account and looked at Abraham and saw a a redemption truth that is necessary for us as we study this portion. And that is that Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God and it was accredited unto him as righteousness. And that's important for us when we get to our story. And then we looked at the law and we saw how in the law, the Lord laid down certain responsibilities that men had to the poor. To those who were less um, provided, if you will. Those who were maybe disabled and unable to do their work. It, and it's different from those who are lazy and poor. And the Scripture is very clear about those who are lazy and poor. And then we saw that culturally, we saw the cultural context as well. And in that cultural context, we recognized that in the day in which the Lord is giving this story, it was a cultural custom for those who were disabled, those who were poor, those who could not fend for themselves, that family or friends would take them and bring them to the gates of the city, bring them to places where the public would gather, and then those who had resources available to them, those who were more well-off, could see them and help them and provide for them. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have Medicare. They didn't have all the, the disabled benefits and stuff that we have in our country today. And so culturally it was accepted that the richer would take care of the poor. And then the poorer would take care of the poor poor. And they give out of their poverty, as we saw the churches do for the poor who were suffering in Jerusalem. And so that was the general overall context of the things we looked at last week. And that was leading us to our look at this story now in Luke chapter 16. And let's go there and let's begin reading at verse 19. Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. 
nor can those from there pass to here. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we need the help of thy spirit. We recognize we need the help of thy spirit in order to illuminate your word to our hearts. In order to apply it to our lives. Oh, Father, we ask that You would teach us this morning by Your Spirit, through Your Word, that we might be both encouraged and challenged. And may it be for the glory of Thy Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. The rich man and Lazarus. How many times have you studied and read this story and enjoyed its content? Enjoyed the lessons that can be learned here? And we're going to move now into that house. Now we recognize the context that came, that preceded it. And we remember also that the Lord has just said in the, in the previous parable, He said that no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For either you'll love the one and despise the other, or you'll, let's read it. You see how, you know, see how your mind goes when you get old? No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And he makes the point of of the issue of loving money. You can be very rich and not love money. You can have wealth and not love money. And use it for the glory of God. And you can be poor and have little money and love it. So it's not a matter of your social position as much as it is the attitude of the heart toward what the Lord has given to you. I enjoyed listening to Paula after, after the message last week. And she came to me and she was sharing me, with me a story about someone who she knew that was very wealthy. She saw she had all kinds of money. She, and they were planning a trip and they, they had bought their first class tickets on the, on the airline. And she just inquired, well, what's going on? Well, what's going on with this trip and what you're taking and doing? And she said, you've certainly, she's retired now. She left her work and she's, and she's still young. And well, why did you do this? And her answer was, it's not all about the money. The Lord has blessed me and now I want to use this to bless his people. See, it's the attitude of the heart, isn't it? Toward what the Lord has given to you. You cannot serve both. Either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve things. Sometimes it is money that people make an idol of. And they take God off His throne and they pursue this. It's the pursuit of their life. But when our pursuit of our life is the things of God and He gives us this, then He gives it to us for His glory. 
to be used for his glory. And we, we looked at some of those things last week, and we don't want to go back and waste. I don't know if waste is the right word. Review them too much again. Well, let's get into the door now, into the house. Let's walk in the front door and let's read what the account has to say. It begins like this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, we mentioned last week that this may indeed be a parable. It may not. And some will argue on both sides of the coin. Well, this is maybe not a parable because of the way it's addressed and because of the individual name that is given, because of different things that happen in the account. It may not be a parable at all. It may be a real event that has happened. Or it may indeed be a parable. doesn't matter to the understanding of the story. doesn't matter to our understanding of the principles that are laid down here. But if indeed it is a true-to-life story that the, that the Lord is relating, it may be possible that those who are around now listening are beginning to perk their ears up and say, well, we, we, we knew a man like that. We, we knew one like that. He's not with us anymore, but we, we knew him. Could be true. And he says he was clothed in purple. Now, purple was an ex- extremely expensive dye for clothing. There was only two processes by which you could make it. And the process only produced a little bit. And so you had to have abundance of money in order to have clothes that were purple. And so what is the purpose of someone who has lots of money wearing purple? It would be the same as someone going around in their Marley suit today. It would be the same as someone going around with a Rolex watch, a presidential watch on. I hope no one has one. It'd be the same as, it would be the same as driving in a Bentley, and I know no one has that. Or driving in a Rolls Royce. Its purpose is to demonstrate to you my position and affluence. No other reason. Oh, maybe he likes purple. There are certainly other things they can, they can wear. Oh, maybe, maybe it's, oh, because this is long wearing fabric and I get good life out of it, so it's worth spending the extra money. No, it's not for that purpose. It is the purpose of flaunting your wealth. And that's what this man does. He is clothed in purple. And he goes about the town clothed in purple. And when people see him, they say, there goes a wealthy man. And he says, oh, the Lord has blessed me. The Lord has blessed me abundantly, and therefore I have these beautiful clothes that the Lord has given to me. And he has linen, linen underclothes. I heard one express the idea that even his, even his undies were, were beautiful. He had an undergarment that was all of linen. How did they know that? Well, they could see. They heard. This was a very, very Wealthy man. And not only that, he fared sumptuously every day. He would go home and he would sit down at his table and he would have a flock of servants that would come and take care of him. Who would cook his lamb, cook his food, cook his vegetables. They were always the best. Probably out of his own orchards or out of his own fields. 
and he would have this wonderful meal every single day. Ah, people would smell it cooking. Oh, man. Wouldn't it be nice to have that fare? Oh, that would be so nice. Of course, I'm presupposing some of these things. But can't you, can't you imagine it? Here is an extremely wealthy man for those times. He was a certain rich man. A certain rich man. You know, that's the same phrase he used at the beginning of the last story, at the beginning of chapter 16, where he said there was a certain rich man. And so he's again emphasizing this idea of the difference that is here. He was clothed in purple. This was one way by which he got self-recognition. This is one way by which he got perhaps self-justification. You remember the Lord warns the Pharisees at the end of that last parable when he says to them at the end of the last parable, he says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You are justifying yourself." And in one sense, by the things that he did, he was justifying himself. And you remember we mentioned last week that among the Pharisees, even in their teaching, there were some that even taught that those who were the very poor are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Lord hasn't blessed them. Look at this. I certainly will. Because look at how the Lord has blessed me. Justifying himself by the things that he did, by the things that he said. And we can be in danger of the same forms of self-justification, self-exaltation, if you will. Self-exaltation. Whether it take the form of our intellect, whether it take the form of our education, whether take the form of our position, whether take the form of our spiritual gifts, oh yes, even that, exalting ourselves, ah, surely I'm much better than you are. Listen to the way I can articulate. And the Lord sees none of that. He looks down and he looks down and he looks at your heart. And if you are a man or a woman with great intellect, he sees the heart that is loving him or exalting self. And he knows. And you know he knows. That's what becomes more difficult sometimes. huh? A rich man. Sumptuous in his fair, comparing others with others, comparing himself with others, and we compare ourselves with others too. Remember, I mentioned that little story last week. You know, maybe now you've earned enough so you're able to buy a nicer car. So you end up with a, with, I don't want to mention any cars, let's go with a Bentley, because I know no one has one of those in here. You get a Bentley. And you're driving down the street and you pull up to the stoplight and you stop. And a guy comes along and all he has is a Lexus. And you look out your window and you say, hmm, 
I'm better than he is. Are you really? Are you really? We need to be careful that we are not comparing ourselves with others and thinking that one is blessed when the other one isn't. We need to be careful because we can fall into the same traps. That's not where I plan to go. You remember in a story that is yet to come here in, in the book of Luke that there's the story of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember that story, don't you? If, if you flip over to chapter 18, and I need to be careful because I'm, I'm almost out of time already and I, I shouldn't go here. But you remember, you remember the story. I'll just relate the story. Here the, the, rich, the uh, Pharisee goes in to pray. And we must understand that there is this issue of propitiation that is involved here. He goes in to pray. And as he's praying, he said, Oh Lord, look at how wonderful I am. I have done all of these things for you. And he goes on and lists his resume to the Lord. I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, I have done that. And then he finally says, Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. I'm not like that guy. And what's that guy doing? He won't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he's beating on his breast. And he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the word really is, be propitious to me. Indicating that a sacrifice has been made. A sacrifice has been bought. Based on what I have brought, be propitious to me, a sinner. And the Lord says, he went out justified. Not the one who listed his resume. Have you ever met people like that? And when you meet them, they list their resume to you? <sighs> Be merciful to me, a sinner. Be propitious to me. And based on the sacrifice I believe that he brought, the Lord could bring propitiation. He could forgive and overlook the sins of that man until the time when Christ would die and the blood of Christ would take away the sin. And he went away justified. Back to our account. Lest we run out of time. Can there be a greater contrast when you get to verse 20? But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Can there be a greater contrast between these two individuals? And it's interesting, isn't it, and you are well aware of this, that this name Lazarus means whom God helps. Can you imagine the irony of people walking around looking at this poor old beggar, the dog's licking his sores, he just wants to be fed with the dog food that falls off the table of the rich man, and he's not even getting that, and he's in all of this agony, and they come by and say, that's the one whom God helps? I don't want to be helped. If this is what happens to the one whom God helps, and that's his name, that's what it means, then, oh boy, what about the ones he doesn't help? What are they like? And we always need to keep in mind the full story, don't we? 
the full story. Because is Lazarus indeed the one whom God helps? <laughs> Not in this temporal life, but for eternity. He is the one whom God truly helps and blesses. Right? So here is Lazarus. A poor, poor beggar. Set down at the gate of this very wealthy man. And it says he's longing for, he's desiring that he would just be fed with the crumbs that fall off the master's table, off the rich man's table. And we recognize, you remember the story from that Gentile woman when the Lord was saying, no, I'm not going to take the, the Israelites' food or the, and, and cast it to the dogs. And he said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And the rich man is not even giving the dog food to poor Lazarus. And Lazarus is there waiting and receiving little if nothing from the hand of the man. And we remember our context and remember what the law has told us. Told us the responsibility of these who have more to those who have little. Remembering the custom of the day. And remembering the hardness of this man's heart. And then it goes on. It gives us this amazing contrast between these two men. One who is very wealthy and one who has nothing. And even the dogs are licking his sores. You know, we, and we recognize the dogs in this time weren't cute little pets that you held on your lap, right? You didn't have dogs in your house where you had them on your lap and you put little bows around them. and you, They weren't like that. These were normally either work dogs or they were wild dogs. They were just dogs that were out. Sometimes they were guard dogs. Let's say for argument's sake, they were guard dogs. Guarding this very rich man's home. And you know he's a very rich man because he has his own gate and his own compound by which is surrounded by and there's this gate that goes in and here is this poor man and the guard dogs are coming out and licking his sores. That's a sad state, isn't it? Or maybe it's just the wild dogs in the streets licking his sores. My brothers and sisters, there are men and women like that today. I've lived in a country for many years where I have seen this kind of poverty. You don't see it here. You, you might see it here from time to time if you look in the right places. But I see it all the time on the streets of Manila. I see it all the time. People who are destitute. People who are crippled. People who are blind. Sitting on the side of the streets. It's not just one Man. Lazarus. The one whom God helps. Not, not doing so well. And then it goes on. The narrative goes on. And here's where things change. Verse 22. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels 
to Abraham's bosom. Is that beautiful or what? Is that beautiful or what? Here he is, this lame man, or this, this man who is destitute, laying at the gate, hungry, has nothing of this world's things. But I'll tell you what he does have. He has faith in the God who justifies those who believe. And we know that because of what we studied in our context, right? The only way he could get to where he went was by believing God and trusting in the living God. It wasn't by his works. He had none. At least in the state he's in now. But what he did have was faith in the living God that delivered him. And he was lifted up and carried by the angels into the presence of Abraham. Now, we've got to remember where we are also in this account. And we, we looked at this briefly last week. We're on this side of the cross still, right? We're heading toward Jerusalem. We're heading toward the crucifixion. We're heading toward the resurrection. We're heading toward the finishing of all that this pictured in a time when those who are absent from the body are present with the Lord. And here we have this place of Abraham's bosom we might call paradise. And we have another place called Hades, the place of the grave where men and women are waiting for the day of judgment. All here will never get here. All here will one day be brought before the great white throne and Hades and death will be cast into the lake of fire which burns with Ever separated from God. But the separation began here. Now, we look at this story about... You remember at the Last Supper. You remember at the Last Supper when the question came out about, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples started saying, who is it? Who is it? It's not me. It's not me. And Peter says to John, ask him. And what does he do? He leans back on Jesus' breast and he says, who is it? Because that's the kind of arrangement it was. When you sit around a table like that, or you sit around, you're all kind of sitting on the floor, and the only way I can communicate to the guy behind me is to lean back. And here is this honored position that Lazarus has at this moment in time, at least in the story or the parable before us. He has this honored position on the right hand of Abraham, having been carried there by the angels resting on Abraham's bosom. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's nice anyway. I mean, you've got to at least admit it's nice. It's a nice position of honor to have. And then it says, the rich man also died and was buried. No angels lifting him up. It simply gives a curse account that he Died and was buried. And I bet the time of his burial was a vague event in the city. Oh, I bet there were thousands of people that came. He probably had mourners, paid mourners that were screaming and hollering, wailing for, for a whole day as he was 
being laid out before his burial. And it probably had a sumptuous feast that was there. And everyone was there to mourn and to say goodbye to this rich man. The Bible says he died and he was buried. That's the end. No, it's not the end. Now we get the dialogue portion of this narrative. And in this dialogue portion of this narrative, we learn a great deal. I think we learn a great deal. Now, it begins in verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, the rich man lifts up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. Isn't that interesting? Joe, I mean, Richie and I were talking about this last week. Isn't it interesting the clarity that he now has? Had he ever met Abraham? No. Did he have a description of Abraham? This is what Abraham looks like. You'll know him when you see him. Mm, there's no indication of that. But in this state in which he finds himself, looking across the great gap, he recognizes Abraham. That's a clarity he didn't have here. Maybe, maybe, it's an indication to us as well about those that we know and have known very well that when we enter into glory ourselves, we will recognize them. We will know who they are. He knew who Abraham was, having never seen him. But he looks across and he says, Abraham, Oh, Abraham, my father. Father Abraham! And he plays that race card, you know. I'm part of you! You're the father of Israel! Oh, Father Abraham! Send Lazarus! He never addresses Lazarus. Did you notice that? This rich man, in his exalted state of mind, never, even in Hades, addresses Lazarus. He was a menial. He was a menial. And he wants him to still act like a menial. Send Lazarus. Tell him to dip his finger in some water. Bring him across and, and cool my tongue. That's what Lazarus does. He's, he's a servant. <laughs> no. No. Abraham continues. Well, anyway, in, in the account it says, For I am in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember this now. In your lifetime, you had all those good things. God gave you all those good things. In your lifetime, you had all those good things. And you remember Lazarus, he had none of those things. Now, you have nothing but torment, and he is blessed. That's the way it is. Now, is this man just a teaching about reversals? Is this just a teaching about reversals? So someone will teach that. Who will say that if you're rich now, when you go on to the next thing, you'll be poor. And if you're poor now, you're going to be rich. And God is going to reverse everything in that day to come. Oh, that would be a foolish way to approach Scripture, wouldn't it? Because there were very wealthy men in the Old Testament who went to be with the Lord in glory and are still there. And there were very many poor who also went. And we could name some of them, couldn't we? Abraham, Job. Esther, New Testament, we have, we have ones like um, Philemon, Theophilus, men of substance. 
It's not a teaching about reversals. In this case, there was a reversal. But the reversal is based on who you have believed in. Who you have trusted. Has your faith been in the Lord God? Or has your faith been in your ability to take care of yourself and provide for yourself and do everything for yourself? I don't care how much money you gave to the temple. I don't care how many sacrifices you offered. If your heart is not God's, it accounts for nothing. It accounts for nothing. So he addresses Lazarus. And now we see Lazarus, the one whom God helps. And certainly has he helped Lazarus? Is Lazarus the one whom God has helped? And, they, and you need to make a distinction here. And, I want to, and this is hardly necessary to say, but I'll say it anyway. This is not the Lazarus of John 11, okay? This is a different one. Just, I don't know why I had to throw that out there, but I felt it was necessary. This is a different man. The one God helps. He brought him to the place of glory. The presence of those who had gone on before him, who had by faith, like in that whole list in, in Hebrews, who by faith went on. Oh, our time is getting away. Our time is getting away. Let's move on quickly, quickly. So he died and he went into this place and now he says to Abraham, Okay, if he can't come across this divide, and that's a very important point to make, isn't it? Once this thing is in, you're, it's fixed. You're not going to go across. And the way he says it is interesting. He says, you know, even if someone wanted to go from here to there, he couldn't. Who would want to? Maybe Lazarus. To cool the tongue of this man whom he knew. He said, but even if he wanted to go, he cannot. There's a great gulf fixed between us. And we can't pass to there. You can't pass to here. It is a done deal. No changing it now. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that's the message for those who do not know Christ, isn't it? You have this life. After this, there's no crossing back over. There's no praying you out. There's no praying you out. And there's no, you can't light enough candles to get one from there across. So, the rich man continues. Well, if that's not possible, then send Lazarus back to my family because I have five brothers. I don't want them coming here. Send them back. Send them back so they can warn them of this place. And he's still treating Lazarus as a menial, isn't he? Well, like if he can't do it, the servant work and come dip my, you know, dip a little bit of water on my tongue. Well, let's use him as a messenger. Send him back. And as a messenger, he can go back for me and warn them about this place. He can warn them about this place. Isn't it sad? That those who are evil are evil still. Those who are unjust are unjust still. And there's no change. There's no repentance here, at least here. There's no contrition seen. Of course, it's a story. It may be a true story. It may be a parable. But the principles are true. 
And so, Abraham's answer, and we're moving quickly now. Abraham's message, our answer to him is, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have Moses and the, they have Moses and the prophets. The same thing that this Lazarus had, they had. The same thing is available to them. You must hear the Word of God and respond to the Word of God used by His Spirit to convict the soul that you can come to this place. And if you refuse, and you will not hear the Word of God, it doesn't matter if somebody comes back from the dead, you're not going to believe. That's what he says. And remember, this is pointing toward the cross. He's on his way to the cross. And someone did indeed come back from the dead. And they still did not believe. That's the hardness of men's hearts. The hardness of men's hearts. They have the law. They have the Word of God. And it's by the Word of God. And believing in the Word of God. Believing in the teaching of the Gospel. Believing that the Lord Jesus Christ died a substitutionary death for you, that He shed His precious blood on the cross to forgive your sin. And if you will not believe that, if you will not receive that, damnation waits you. Separation from God forever waits you. You have the Word of God. Believe what he has said. And you can be saved. Oh, and then and then the rich man corrects Abraham's theology, doesn't he? He says, Oh no, 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 Abraham, you got it all wrong. You got it wrong. If someone actually comes back from the dead and tells him, they will believe. The Lord Jesus stood at the tomb of another Lazarus. And he called him forth out of after he was dead four days, proving according to their traditions and their 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 the only thing I can think of is traditions that now the spirit had left him, and now he was truly dead. Decay had started. Decay was already in him, and he calls him forth. And you know what? Lazarus came out of the tomb, and many believed. And the rulers got together and said, "We need to kill him too, because." Because they keep hearing about Lazarus and pretty soon everyone is going to believe. And they still did not believe. Though the signs were there, though they were clear, they still did not believe. Even though one rose from the dead. Oh, send him to my father's house. Let him hear the law and the prophets. Oh no! But if he goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. No, they won't! But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. It's true. It's true. When you close your eyes in death, whether that will be today 
whether that will be next week or next year or whether it'll be sometime in the future. If the Lord does not come, guess what? All of you are going to close your eye in death. All of you. There is no exceptions in this room. We will all die if the Lord not come. When you open up your eyes, where will you be? Ah, in the presence of the Lord if you know Him. If you do not know Him, where will you open your eyes? It's a sobering question. It's a sobering question. Praise God, I'm saved. I will open up my eyes in the presence of the Almighty. I will open up my eyes in glory. I will be with Him. And know how long I'll be with Him? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I will never face the second death. Is there anyone in this room who will? If you have not come to know Christ, make today the day of challenge to your own heart. The day in which you will come before Him in repentance. The day in which you will open up your heart to receive salvation. Full and free from the hands of the Son of God who loves you and gave Himself for you. Father, we give You thanks. We give You thanks for Your Word. We give You thanks for the power of Your Word. We pray, Lord, that we would be those who hear, that we would be those who listen and learn. For we recognize that all of us in this room have a responsibility. All of us in this room are responsible before You. Lord, we want to live our lives in ways that bring glory to Thee. And Father, if there be any in this room this morning who have never come to know You, they will never ever be able to stand before You on the last day and say they never heard. Oh Father, may You bless, speak to hearts this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.